listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Paul has been talking about what it looks like to walk in love. What does it look like to respond to the love of God and what he's done by giving us Jesus Christ? And then what does it look like to have that permeate, saturate every aspect of our lives? That's what he's been addressing in chapter 5. What it looks like, what it means to walk in love. And here we jump in midstream in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, and we read these words. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, verse 21, I wish there wasn't a break in the chapter right there. In the original language, there are no changes in the paragraphs, no breaks in the paragraphs, and no chapter numbers or verse numbers. And what's happened here is, We've translated here in the English, we've broken it up so that chapter 5, that section on wives and husbands, begins with verse 22. Oh, how I wish it would have been broken up beginning with verse 21, because that's really the umbrella statement that's made in the discussion that begins, that Paul begins in regard to husbands and wives, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, what's taught in the Bible is not just that women should submit to the men in marriage, but also that men should submit to the woman in their life in marriage, that it's to be a mutual submission. Now, pendulums have swung in extreme directions with people misunderstanding exactly what that means, but if we were to spend a lot more time on the husbands and wives thing, which is not what we're going to do in the remainder of our time, but if we were, we would understand that the reason why he says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ before he launches into the discussion about husbands and wives is because Paul wants us to understand that in a marriage context, the wife is to submit to the husband and... The husband is to submit to the wife. What that looks like is explained in the remainder of chapter 5. There's a difference in the way the husband is to be characterized as submitting and a difference in the way the wife is to be characterized as submitting to the husband, but make no mistake about it in a day and an age where people are mistaking it. Wives are to submit to husbands. Husbands are to submit to wives. And if you don't believe me, men, that could be one of the reasons. Your misunderstanding about that could be one of the reasons why you're having more difficulty in your marriage than you otherwise would have. 
The umbrella statement about husbands and wives is that a marriage relationship, the husband is to be characterized as being submissive to the wife, and the wife is to be characterized as being submissive to the husband. And that'll go a very long way in our marriage relationships if we understand what that looks like, okay? Now, interesting about this passage of Scripture, in verse 18, Ephesians 5, 18, this brings me back in time because I can identify with this all too well. In Ephesians 5, 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In my college days, I lived in my freshman year, I resided in room 316 in Tinsley Dormitory at Rutgers College on the College Avenue campus, and I had given my life to Christ my senior year in high school and was very infantile, very immature in my understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus Christ. So I thought that I would go to college and just continue living my life the way I had lived my life, getting drunk with now new college buddies. I did that in high school to a certain degree, and then I thought I'd just do that when I was in college. And lo and behold, my brother, my older brother, who transferred from another school, East Stroudsburg University, that was the name at the time, transferred, and it was his first semester at Rutgers College. And where did they put my brother, who was a resident advisor at Rutgers University, Rutgers College, over 8,000 students in the college alone, over 40,000 students in the university. Where do you think they put my brother, who was a follower of Jesus Christ, in that whole university as the resident advisor? They put him on the third floor of Tinsley, right down the hall from me. (laughs) My scheme of continuing my life was heartily undermined. And God was at work in my life in spite of myself, just like he is at work in your life in spite of yourself. That's how much God loves you. It's how much he loves me. It's how much he loves us that despite ourselves, he is at work. See, it's all about what God is doing in your life and your family and your church. It's not about what we're doing for God. It's about what God is doing in us, with us, to us, and through us. Amen? But you see, Paul is bringing a contrast up here. How did this verse get applied in my own life? I was in the habit because I was learning as a new believer. I was reading the Bible at night before I went to bed. And I was reading this particular verse of Scripture. I was reading through Ephesians, and I came to verse 18 of chapter 5. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. And I thought, well, I guess I can't get drunk anymore. Just like that. There it was in black and white, didn't know any better, but God spoke to me through his word. And once I saw it in the black and white of his word, once I had that personal word from God through his word, his word overflowed in me and I now had an accountability. I now had a transformation that was underway in my life. I mean, once we read something in the Word of God, we understand things that we otherwise would not understand. God works through His Word and transforms us. It's amazing how God does that. And that's what God wants to do in your life 
as well as my life. See, debauchery is doing something with your life that you otherwise would not do. Maybe it's through drinking alcohol or smoking something that now is becoming increasingly legal in our country. But just because something is legal doesn't make it beneficial when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Not all things that are legal are beneficial to being a follower of Jesus Christ. When somebody's filled with wine or some type of a drug that they otherwise should not be filled with, they do things they otherwise would not do. They say things they otherwise would not say, and they end up making a fool of themselves when otherwise they would act in wisdom. In the contrast that Paul is presenting for you and for me, for the follower of Jesus Christ, for the disciple, in contrast to the dabbler, is that God wants you and me to be characterized by the infilling with the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit, not to be doing things that you want to do on your own, not to be thinking things that are out of control in your own mind and in your own heart, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you will do, then I will do, then we will do things we otherwise would not do for the glory of God. We will say things we would otherwise not say for the glory of God. The outside is a direct overflow of what's happening on the inside. Do you see how simple that is? What you do on the outside is a reflection. What I do on the outside is a reflection of what we really believe. What you believe about God is the single most important thing about you. The single most important thing about me. What we believe in our families, the single most important thing about our families. What we believe in the family of God and the church. See, for too long we focused on the outside behavior. See, you can tell somebody how to change their behavior and just simply teach somebody how to put on a church face. Having a form of godliness, that's not what it's about. What needs to happen in your life, what needs to happen in my life, what needs to happen in your family and my family and this church, and if you're listening by podcast or radio in your church, what needs to happen is that we have encounters with God through his word where God speaks to us. God speaks to us through his word. Remember, you can have as many words from God as you're willing to tolerate. All you need to do, all I need to do is open up that word of God, Genesis to Revelation. Doesn't that make you hungry for more of God? Read his word. God will speak to you through his word. And it's through God speaking to you through his word that you have clarity over what you shouldn't do in your life, what you should do in your life. And in those instances where you're not clear, keep persevering, keep reading the word of God. Keep submitting to God by submitting to his word. Keep pressing in. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Persevere. Ask God, Lord, give me insight into your word and those portions that you don't understand. Become somebody who reads the word of God and those portions that you don't, don't understand uh, at face value. There are plenty of resources that you can read today. I'm not talking about reading blogs of people who are sitting in their underwear eating potato chips. Not that. 
It's a great way to be led astray. I'm talking about credible resources. And if you need help, you can contact us. We'll help you get an understanding of where to go to find credible resources. But you can have a personal word from God as often as you want, anytime you want, courtesy of the word of God called the Bible. God's objective in your life and in mine is that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not something that's just for people who might be Pentecostal or charismatic. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to you. God's gift to your family. God's gift to anybody and everybody who's born again. You receive the Holy Spirit the moment you give your life to Christ. Now, oh, why don't we all live the same type of lives then? Why are some people's lives more characterized as honoring and glorifying God and being spirit-filled than others? Because I I love what D.L. Moody said. He said, I need the Holy Spirit every moment, every day, something to that effect. He said, you understand the imagery. He said, I leak. And I found that to be true in my own life. And so have you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I might have been filled yesterday. I need to be filled today, and so do you. I might have been filled five minutes ago, and you might have been filled five minutes ago, but you need to be filled right here and right now. That's an abiding teaching that's presented there in the Word of God. You and I, we as disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, need to be filled perpetually, continually, because we leak. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when your family is filled with the Holy Spirit characteristically, when a church is filled with a group of people who are filled with the very presence of God, the Spirit of God, do you know what happens? You individually, your family, that family of God, the church, does things that we would otherwise not do. We say things we would otherwise not say. We think things we would otherwise not think, and we do things, we impact the world in ways that we otherwise would not impact the world. What you and I need, more than ever in this dark day and age in which we live, is to be characteristically filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a command that Paul is giving to the Ephesians then, to every believer around the world, and he's giving it to you and to me. You absolutely can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You absolutely must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit in our individual lives and in our families and in the church, we become catalysts of change every place we go. You become a catalyst for change in your marriage. You won't have to wait for somebody else to change because God's changing you. Become a catalyst for change in your family, a catalyst for change at the workplace, catalyst for change in your neighborhood, and yes, even within the church. Haven't you noticed that we need a lot more change in the church? That's the ongoing process, the ongoing commitment of God, the desire of God is that we, the body of Christ, reflect the glory of God and are more and more characterized by the movement of the Spirit of God, the filling with the Holy Spirit, because as that happens, we become world changers wherever we go. The Spirit of God moves powerfully through us, and if you haven't 
remembered this as thoroughly as you need to remember it, as thoroughly as I need to remember it. We are God's plan A for changing the world. You might not be able to bring somebody to church, but you can certainly bring the church to somebody wherever you go. Now look with me at verse 15, Ephesians 5, 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. This particular word that's translated into the English, the word that's translated into the English as evil, the same word that's used in Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 16, that famous passage of Scripture about the armor, the Christian in complete armor. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. It's the same word that's used there, the evil one. Same word that's used in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, making the best use of time because the days are evil. And the word that's used there is this. This is what it's meant by the word that's translated into uh, evil in the English. Hurtful, to be ill or diseased, to be mischievous, to have moral evil, to be vicious, that's the word that's used, to be grievous, to cause harm, to be lewd, to be malicious, and to be wicked. But not just to that degree. The word that is used here is an evil that is insatiable, not satisfied until it causes itself to be reproduced in the lives of other people. It is an evil that is not content with just being evil in and of itself. It is an evil that is destructive and causes sorrow and grief and harm. It is an evil that wants to be pervasive, wants to saturate. And that is exactly why in Ephesians 6, 16, the devil is called the evil one, to be the one who is bent on causing evil and destruction, bent on leading others astray, gets its satisfaction, gets its jollies on leading others away from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now, when Jesus went into the wilderness and was tempted, for example, the devil tempted him not for one day or two days or a week or two weeks or three weeks, but for 40 days and for 40 nights. And after that whole time where Jesus was tempted externally, meaning an external presentation that would try to get Jesus to fall. Jesus wasn't tempted on the inside like you and I are, the way the writer of the book of James says each one is tempted when by his own evil desires. You might say, well, Jesus was tempted not in that way. There's two different types of temptation in the Bible. One is an external temptation. That's what Jesus experienced in the Gospels when he was tempted by the devil. The other is an internal temptation because we have a sin nature that Jesus didn't have. Am I making myself clear? After the 40 days and 40 nights, when Jesus was tempted with every type of temptation that you and I could face in this world, all types of external temptations, the Bible says that the devil, the evil one, the one who was bent on evil, left him once and for all? No. 
left him until an opportune time. Until the right moment in which he could seek to inflict the maximum damage. For example, that instance where Jesus was interacting with the apostles and he was talking to them about his death and the reason why he came. And Peter rebuked him and said, Lord, may it never be. And Jesus looked right at him and said, get behind me, Satan. See, the evil that characterizes the day and age in which you and I live, it was true 2,000 years ago, it's even more true today. The day and age in which you and I live is now characterized as a type of maliciousness, a type of being bent on evil that is insatiable, will not be satisfied until the very last person, if that were possible, were led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. The day and age in which we live could be characterized as a type of evil that is nihilistic. Nihilism. Nihilism. Nihilism is a fancy word that means this. Nihilism is a viewpoint that holds that traditional values and beliefs are unfounded and that existence is senseless and useless. See, this opens up a Pandora's box. If you believe that existence is senseless and useless, then you're going to try to create meaning in and of itself apart from God and apart from this second idea. It's the doctrine. Nihilism is the doctrine that denies any objective ground of truth and especially of moral truths. The idea of there are no moral absolutes. There are no truths that are universally to be adhered to, revealed by God, and therefore to be adhered to. That's the idea of nihilism. And we are living in a very nihilistic society today where everybody wants to do their own thing. Everybody wants to make up their own values, which are not values, and try to have those values permeate every fabric of society. If we were going to select the poster child for nihilism, the poster child for this type of pervasive evil, the poster child for this type of evil that wants to corrupt others, we could go no further than good old Miley Cyrus. Who would have thought that a young girl who got her popularity and her fame through Disney of all places and got such a global stage of tremendous impact, would now be having the impact that she's having. See, the devil is perfectly satisfied. He's a strategist. He knows how to wait and to give away some line, the end of which there's a hook, to give away enough line so that at the perfect opportunity, then he can strike and have the maximum impact. Who would have thought that somebody as innocent back in the day as Miley Cyrus would have grown up to be this person who is so inherently, so inherently bent on destruction and leading other people astray. She's now going to be hosting the MTV Video Music Awards coming up. And not only that, but Nick Jonas tweeted the other day that 
he knows that this year's Video Music Awards are going to be better than ever because Miley Cyrus is really going to kill. She's going to do a phenomenal job. What you may or may not know is that Nick Jonas and his brothers were raised by a worship leader in Christ for the Nation's Bible Institute in Texas. What is it with Nick Jonas giving praise and honor to Miley Cyrus when Nick Jonas should be grieved and cut to the heart that Miley Cyrus is bent on leading people astray in terms of sexual identity, astray in terms of sexual immorality. She not only approves of those things, but wants other people to be engaged in them as well. She's just simply the poster child, an example of how somebody who's bent on evil is making the most of every opportunity to lead other people into evil behavior. What you need to understand, what I need to understand is as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to be making the most of the time, the limited amount of time that you have, the limited amount of time that I have. It's not eternal. Eventually, your heart's going to stop. Your brain is going to cease to function. You have a limited amount of time. I have a limited amount of time. And what Paul is urging you and me is to make the most of the limited resource that you have in this thing called time. Make the most of it while you still have it. To have your life, to have your family, to have this church, the family of God, revolve around the will the purpose, the plan of God. That's why we're spending so much time in this Vision for Life series talking about God's vision and his mission for our lives. God's vision and mission for our families, his vision and his mission for the family of God, the church. That's why we're spending so much time talking about the value of simplicity, making sure that our lives don't, which automatically gravitate toward complexity, that our lives don't become so distracted and so complex that we lose sight of the person around whom our lives should be centered, Jesus Christ. We focused on the value of simplicity. We focused on the importance of our lives and our families and the church being characterized by the genuine movement of the Spirit of God. And we spent time focusing on humility, the importance of walking in humility individually and in our families and in the church because we don't want to incur the active resistance of God. Wouldn't that be ironic? A follower of Jesus Christ being opposed by God. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. As James chapter 4 says, 1 Peter chapter 5 says, we've spent a lot of time talking about loving God and loving people. This idea of loving relationships, simplicity, the movement of the Spirit of God, walking in humility, loving God and loving people. Those values are important. Look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. We'll get to that word in a moment. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and verse 20. Look with me. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The idea here is that wherever you're going, as you're going, in the workplace, in your neighborhood, 
Wherever you're going, you are to be doing something specific, something intentional. So you have to understand that a disciple is intentional with his or her use of time. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are a disciple, you are to be a disciple maker. Disciples are disciple makers. That's why we're talking about exponential replication. A disciple replicates. You do that in your individual life. You do that in your family. You do that in the family of God, the church. That's why Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore as you're going, wherever you're going, and make disciples of all nations. Don't just think about it. Make it happen. All nations without discriminating. You know, one of the things that disappointed me about the Republican debate that happened the other day, if you could call it a debate, looked more like a reality TV show, didn't it? This country is more divided at an ethnic level than it's ever been. Not one question was raised about, well, what would you do as president in regard to the ethnic division and divisiveness that's happening here, the racism that's happening in this country? They could have talked about South Carolina. They could have talked about Florida. Could have talked about all kinds of situations where every day, every day, racism is raging in this nation, but not one question was raised about racism in this nation, the division that's happening in this nation. Not one question was raised about the financial calamity that's eventual in this nation. Not one question raised about why the Constitution of the United States has been put on the back burner and is about to be torn up. We were talking about things that seemingly didn't have real relevance as our nation is on fire. See, as a disciple, we are to not discriminate against others. We are to make disciples of all nations, meaning regardless of their skin color, regardless of their financial status, regardless of whether they smell good or smell bad. We are to make disciples of all nations. The gospel is for all people everywhere. Jesus Christ is for all people everywhere. Everybody, if you're a human being, everybody needs to have their sins forgiven and to have Jesus Christ become their Savior, their God, their Master, and their Lord. That's what the gospel is all about. And as a disciple, whether you're young or whether you're old, or somewhere in between, We're not just to think about it, not just to be aware of it. We are to make it happen. Get busy. Let's get going. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. The first elementary fundamental step of obedience as a follower of Jesus Christ is to get baptized. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here again we have Jesus putting himself on equal footing with the Father. Would have been speaking blasphemously if he was wrong to do that. Putting the Holy Spirit on equal footing with the Father. This is the teaching of the Trinity. Three in one. One God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe. Listen, teaching them to observe some that I have commanded you. Is that what it says? That's the reversed standard version, isn't it? 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Don't confuse knowledge of what the Bible teaches with obedience to God by putting the Word of God into action. You know, if it was just a matter of educating people about what the Bible says, we would have had revival after revival after spiritual awakening after spiritual awakening in this country. It would be perpetual. We have mistaken education, knowledge about the Word of God for application of the Word of God. Remember, you and I cannot worship and enjoy and serve a God who we don't know. In order to effectively worship and serve God, in order to be a true disciple, you've got to be in the Word of God where we understand the heart of God, the mind of God, We understand more about ourselves. We understand more about the world in which we live. And then we can rightly live for God. It's not just a matter of knowing what the Bible teaches. It's a matter of putting what the Bible teaches into action. That's what transforms us. And we have no excuse. We know what the Lord's will is. Back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. We know what the Lord's will is. Look what he says. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. We're right there it is. The vision and mission of God. Go into all the world. Go, therefore, into all the world and get busy replicating. Get busy teaching other people what it means to love me and to love other people. Get busy living a simplified life so that nothing distracts you and me and your family and the church from that. Listen, the church has no right to exist other than to lead people to Christ and to disciple them. That's the primary mission of the church. That's the reason why Jesus died. Your family exists fundamentally, or your family to be, exists fundamentally to give glory to God and to replicate, to bring other people into this world who will glorify God and to lead other people to saving faith in Jesus Christ who will replicate as well. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations without discriminating, baptizing them, teaching them to immediately obey by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe not some of the things or most of the things, not just the things that you might think are hot buttons or I think are hot buttons, but teaching them everything that Jesus commanded from Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus said, don't be alarmed, don't be concerned, don't be dismayed. I will be with you always, even to the very end of this age, even though it will be difficult at the end. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we know what God's will is. That's why Paul says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That word foolish that is used there, let's look at that for a moment. The word in Ephesians 5.17 that's translated as foolish means to be lacking perspective, to be short-sighted, and to be lacking an understanding of the big picture. That's what it means to be foolish. You see, you know as a follower of Jesus Christ, I know just from this brief time right here, we know what the Lord's will is. We know what the big picture is. God's big picture in your life and in mine and in your family and in mine and in the church 
is that we're to be busy wherever we go, whatever we're doing, making sure that God's vision and mission is prioritized by replicating ourselves and by making disciples, not simply being aware of disciple-making. See, a disciple makes disciples. A disciple is a disciple-maker. Think for a moment. Close your eyes for a moment. Let's do that together. If you're listening and you're driving in your car, common sense applies here. Close your eyes for a moment, and I want you to go back to just a few hours ago when you were in that warm, comfortable bed of yours, or that bed that you'll be in later on this evening. Don't go to sleep on me right now. Pay attention. Keep your eyes closed. Look back over the past seven days of your life and ask yourself, look back over the past month of your life and ask yourself, have I been making the most use of the time? Have I been making the most use of my time as a disciple making disciples? See, eyes open. If your life is anything like my life, and it is, my life is like your life, oftentimes we allow ourselves to let life become too complicated, too complex, too distracting, and we get fixated and focused upon something other than the okay commission, the mediocre commission, the one we get around to it commission, the great commission. We call it the Great Commission, even though it's oftentimes become a great omission in our lives. We call it the Great Commission because there's nothing greater than leading somebody to the feet of Jesus and saying, love God, love people. Exponential replication, reproducing yourself by making others followers of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Couldn't be any simpler You want to know what a movement of the Spirit of God looks like? That's what it looks like as you align your life, as you're intentional in your own life around the vision and the mission of God, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. As you align your life around the values of simplicity and being led by the Holy Spirit, the movement of the Spirit of God, as you align your life in the importance of humility, walking in humility in your own life and in your family, and as you prioritize the value, which is again God's vision and mission of loving God and loving people, that's as complex as your life needs to be. If somebody adds something else to that, say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a second. I just want to replicate as somebody who loves God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I just want my family to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I just want my church to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I just want to replicate, live a simple life, be led by the movement of the Spirit of God, walk in humility, love God, love people, and replicate, I just want to be a disciple who makes disciples. Don't let yourself be deceived. Don't let yourself be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. It's no more complex than this. God saved you so that you could love him. God saved you so that you can love people. He's given you the Holy Spirit so that you can love people in a way that you won't and you can't apart from the enablement of the Holy Spirit. God's given you and me this thing called the Bible. 
through which we understand the heart and the mind of God and we have encounters with God through his word. God saved you to love him and to love people and then to reproduce. To reproduce. To have all of your life revolving around that, all of our families revolving around that simplicity to guard the vision and mission of God with all diligence. Make the most use of the limited amount of time you will have. It's ticking away even now. Make the most use of the time because it is pervasively evil, pervasively distracting, diabolically destructive. Be intentional as a disciple characterized as someone who replicates and makes disciples. That's what a disciple does. A disciple, by definition, is a disciple maker, somebody who's following Jesus Christ, observing everything that Jesus commanded in a growing fashion with greater and greater obedience. And the more we obey, the greater we walk in freedom. Partial obedience is disobedience, right? Disobedience brings discipline. Obedience brings blessing. You want to be blessed by God? Obey his word. Get into his word. You'll be blessed. I'll be blessed. Your family will transform. See, what God wants you to do in your own individual life, and my life, and our families, and in the church, he wants us not to be foolish but to be wise. Look with me at the word that's used here, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The word that is used there for wise, that's translated as wise, is this. It means to be a skilled expert in something. And here, it is to be an expert in the will of God. To be a skilled expert, to be cultivated, to be learned, to walk in integrity. And listen to this, the word wise means to formulate your plans in such a way that you will make sure that the plans are executed. That's what it means. In other words, what Paul is saying here, don't just be uh, aware of God's will. Don't do what the Pharisees did who didn't write one letter of the New Testament. No Pharisee was selected to be an apostle. Don't confuse knowledge with application. Don't just be aware of the Great Commission. Don't just be aware of the will of God. Make the will of God happen in your individual life. Get busy with the will of God in your own family. Make it happen. Let's come together and make with a growing reality the will of God, the reality in the body of Christ and the church. We don't need church face. What we need is to live simple lives characterized by the movement of the Spirit of God, characterized by humility, characterized by loving God and loving people. And that's as simple as it gets. That's as complex as it gets. That's what it is, and that's what God wants you to replicate in your life. That's what God wants me to replicate in my life. That's what God wants us to replicate in the church. That's how simple it is, but that's how important it is. To be somebody who walks with wisdom. To be somebody 
who doesn't act as an unwise person, but as a wise person, to walk as somebody who's wise is to be somebody who prioritizes not simply being aware of something, but to make sure that the plan is successfully executed. That's what it means. To make the best use of your time. The best use of my time. And what you need to do, what I need to do, is we need to look at our lives in seven-day increments, seven-day stretches of time. Each day that you're walking with the Lord, each day you're spending time in the Word of God, in the morning and in the evening. You might say, Mike, you're sounding like a broken record when you talk about this seven-day thing. Listen, that's not a broken record. It's this simple. All you need to do is fixate on the next seven days of your life. Get a Bible and keep it by your bedside. Before you open it up, ask the Lord, Lord, I'm about to encounter you through your word. Help me to see the truths that you've revealed in your word. Illuminate my heart, illuminate my mind, so that when I look at your word, I can immediately put it into action and then pay attention and read that word and put it into action because you just had an encounter with the living and true God. An encounter which can be repeated every single day of your life, every single day of mine, in your family as you're sitting around the dining room table having a meal, living simplified lives, making sure that your life is less hectic and less rushed than it otherwise would be. Your children and my children don't need another activity. They don't need you to be doing another activity. They, in most instances, need you and me to do less so that we can simply live for Jesus Christ. That's what needs to happen. You know, we're making changes here in the church. We're making changes here in the church so that disciple-making is not something that is farmed out and happens just in the four walls of the church building. But so that disciple-making happens in the four walls of your house or your apartment, wherever you live that you're investing in your children. See, many of us, sometimes we feel like a deer caught in the headlights. We don't know how to disciple our children. We don't know where to start. We will help you. But more importantly, God will help you if you begin to live a simplified life. Ask God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let me be moved by your Holy Spirit. I want to be carried along by your Holy Spirit. I want to be like a tire tube that's thrown into the river, carried along instead of the canoe that's paddling upstream against the current. Let the Spirit of God fill you, carry you, direct you. Lord, I want to walk in humility before you. I want my family to walk in humility. Help me to prioritize my life around you. Lord, help me to prioritize loving you and loving people beginning with my family. God will give you insight. God will transform your family. God will transform you, and you will get to disciple your own children. See, what we're doing in the church should be designed to simply supplement and complement what you are doing. The most awesome responsibility that a parent has. See, a night of passion can bring a child into the world. But you have to be passionate about making disciples to make your children followers of Jesus Christ. 
And as a disciple, you've got to be intentional. Don't let yourself get distracted. See, just because you're committed, I want to make this clear, just because you're committed to following Jesus Christ and you're committed to to raising godly children doesn't mean you'll always succeed in that. Your children could still go wayward. Or you're, you know, more than one child. You can have multiple children that go wayward. It's no guarantee. It's not a law that if you follow God and walk with God, all of your children are going to follow God and walk with God. But I can tell you this, and you know it's true. If you follow God and walk with God and live for God, don't just recite Bible verses and don't focus just on the head and the mind of Bible memorization, but you focus on the application of God's Word, which is what your children and mine need to see in this dark, pervasively evil day and age as your children see you repent in your family, see you apologize to your spouse, see you apologize and hear you apologize to them for maybe speaking too harshly. You don't say, you know what, this Jesus thing, maybe it's, maybe it's real. Maybe this talk about a relationship instead of a religion, maybe it's real. See, what your children, what my children, what the world needs to see is not somebody who's memorized a few more verses of Scripture. They need to somebody who hears the Word of God and puts it into practice. Amen? That's what the world needs to see. I can guarantee you that if you are that type of a parent, the chances of your children being wayward and going off and rejecting Jesus and rejecting truths in the Bible will go way down. You'll always be ahead when you follow God and put the Word of God into action. Always be behind if you only focus on reading and knowledge. It's the application, the application, the application, the application, the application of God's Word is what takes it from just knowledge to transformation. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.